You are listening to Just Over 20 with me, Itunu Speaks. The black community is often overlooked in the discourse about disability, but with sickle cell anemia impacting black people at large, education about it is more important than ever. We must ask ourselves, are there better ways that the education system can support students with disabilities? Are the needs of the disabled people within our communities being listened to? And how can creativity be used to empower those with alternative needs? Today I'm joined with the powerhouse that is Danielle Gennardu to talk about her journey living with sickle cell, the importance of advocacy work and seeing yourself as the biggest project you're ever going to have. Hi everyone, um, today I'm with the wonderful Danielle Janadu. I've been really looking forward to speaking to you. I think I secretly wanted to speak to you for a really long time. Um, Danielle is a disability advocate. She is a recent law graduate and she's a phenomenal like fashionista as well. So we're also going to get into that. Her Instagram is A1. But yeah, Danielle, if you'd like to introduce yourself for the listeners... Hello everybody, thank you so much for having me genuinely, I so appreciate it. Um, yeah, literally as you said, my name is Danielle, um, I am a disability advocate, I've been doing that for a few years now, and yes, I just graduated from university, I'm super chuffed about that. Um, and yeah, like I just speak on women's issues generally, I use my Instagram as kind of a platform where I speak about disability, but I also do it to talk about like fashion and stuff like that. Um, something that I've recently really been trying to show is that women can be beautiful in all the different aspects of their lives. So like women can be disabled and also beautiful and also feminine and stuff like that. So that's kind of my aim to show a multifaceted disability story, essentially. Amazing. Um, You are really open about your kind of journey with disability on your um, Instagram and in general on other podcasts. You've also done a TEDx talk as well about sickle cell. Um, It'll be great if you could kind of go into your journey with disability, if we can call it that. So from, from when you were young until now, how did you know that you had sickle cell? How have you dealt with that um how's it impacted you kind of can we if we can do a whistle stop tour for like (laughs) people who don't know who you are or haven't um seen your instagram before that'd be great yeah of course so um if you know about sickle cell it's a genetic disorder basically it's a genetic mutation so essentially i was born with sickle cell both of my parents had the gene and together that created me an ss child um so yeah like i knew sickle cell from as long as I knew about anything in this life. (laughs) It was a very young thing for me. Like, my parents didn't try and hold it back or not tell me, which I really appreciate because it is really really what I believe empowered me to be so able to deal with it now is the fact that it wasn't something that was taboo, it wasn't hidden, I was very aware of it and taught how to deal with it for a really long time. So in my childhood, a lot, I was in and out of hospital from as young as five years old. Um, I was in hospital, I think I had my first blood transfusion at about five years old. Um, Blood transfusions are an essential part of sickle cell care. Um, And then as I grew up, And as I got older and did my GCSEs, it started to have an effect on my studies, essentially. As my studies became more complicated, so did my health. I think it was a reaction to stress. 
Um, and so I was kind of dealing with that sort of thing and my GCSEs and then I did my A-levels. Um, I sat my A-levels in hospital, actually, because I dealt with a sickle cell crisis, but I also was diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease at the time. Um, so I had to sit it in A-levels, but, you know, God took me through. I graduated, uh, well, I finished um, secondary school, finished my A-levels, and I got the grades I needed to go to Warwick. And then Warwick is a whole monstrous, massive story of trials and tribulations and overpowering all the, all the things that were trying to get me back and hold me back with my health and all these different challenges I felt and went through. But yeah, like, I feel like my story is just a story of perseverance in all honesty and just trying to get over all the hurdles that um, sickle cell gave me and just learning how to deal with it and advocate for myself, basically. That's something that um, I try to learn as I get older. Um, just to how to support myself for university, how to get my lecturers on board and how, get all the people I need to help me get through this degree. And that's something I kind of want to empower other disabled people to do. And also just see their disability is actually something that enables you rather than disables you, because that's what I do. Like, I feel like my doctor said it to me once. He said that um, if since you have sickle cell, you should be like the most organized, most proactive person in these streets, because you know that your body can change at any single moment if it wants to. Mm. So that should, in fact, empower you to just be one step ahead, like literally. So, yeah, that's a bit about my story. Thank you so much. I... You know, I've always wondered, so I think you're amazing and I've been a fangirl for a while and I'll say that proudly, I don't even care. Thank you so much. Um, I have definitely been a fangirl. And when I saw that you would call yourself a disability advocate, I was like, oh, that's really interesting because in a lot of um, spaces that I've kind of been privy to, people fight back against the word um, disabled, disability, um, that kind of thing. So what made you start calling yourself a disability advocate and what does that even what does that mean like what does that look like to you yeah I think that's a really good question because I think unfortunately because of the taboo around the word disabled I didn't want to be called disabled for a really long time in my life so I remember when I was younger my mum wanted me to fill out an application form um, and essentially, in order to do it, I would have to declare myself disabled. And I was, I beat her. I fought her for a good while. I was like, I'm not disabled. Like, what are you on about, quite frankly? And then she kind of just broke it down to me. She's like, okay, Dan, let's go through this, right? When you were a child, I had to buy you lots and lots of stuff in winter to keep you warm. Because if you weren't warm, you were going to be in hospital every other, like, just before Christmas. Um, I would just be in hospital. It was like a cycle every single year, every single year for like three, four years in primary school to like first few years of secondary school and um yeah so she was like I had to do that for you I had to make sure in class like they wouldn't just put you near a window I'd always make, have to make sure you were near a heater at primary school you would play inside um in playtime you wouldn't even be allowed to go outside in the winter you'd have to sit in the library and do that sort of thing or you didn't do PE or dad like when you got older you were dealing with your health challenges and that meant that you couldn't swim you couldn't swim because every time you went swimming mm. you'd come back and you'd be ill and she was like all of these things they essentially mean that you go through some sort of things that not every single other person goes through. These mm. are all things that are quite unique to you and your experience. And they also cost a lot, right? <laughs> so you're going to need help with these things. You're going to need measures to be put in place throughout your life to make sure that you're able to do just as well as anybody else um, and that this condition is not something that like defines your ability. You have to accept that 
you're different you're different to other people but that doesn't negate the fact that you're also like amazing I'm just as amazing and talented and special as anybody else um and just because I have a disability it's, it's not to me I don't see it as a um as a negative thing mm. although it has many negative connotations I think something that I find empowering about calling myself a disability advocate is I'm going so strongly against that um if you see disability to be negative then you also won't believe me when I say okay well I went to a top 10 university and I graduated from there with a law yeah. degree like if you see disability to be negative you won't believe oh how does this same person have the like tact or the communication skills to do a TEDx talk or something like that like you if you see disability as negative you won't also see the ways in which it benefits me and it in many ways has um helped me to utilize my voice like I don't think I would have as much power in who I am if I wasn't disabled because in all honesty I generally think that it brought out some of the best characteristics in me mm. um so I call myself disabled because I see that in the structure we live in the condition I have means that the way I live my life is different to other people and the word for that that is allocated is disability and I'm okay with that like I don't see it as a negative thing because as I said disability has empowered me to be different but I think different is good I think uniqueness is good I think actually if you look at the world there is a plethora of identities and ways in which people look and are formed and stuff like that and in fact it just makes us richer for it to be honest um I see my sickle cell and the disability I have as a really weird sort of gift from God in all honesty. I don't think that we're intended to be ill in this world. I don't think that's the plan. But I think that if you look at the way in which um, God does things, he turns around all that is bad and uses it for good. Like God loves using the humble and raising it to another level. So that's how I see it. But yeah. And for you in your advocacy work, is it about empowering other people to see their disability as something that doesn't have to limit them a hundred percent literally for me yeah I see my disability as something that gives me tact um it helps me to see the world through a different lens in fact which makes me really unique in fact it's like a unique selling point quite frankly (laughs) um that they're literally so this is something I talk about often and because I call myself if I was to name myself anything it'd probably be like an intersectional feminist right or some people say womanist when you're intersectional but I generally believe that like so in society there are all these different sort of groups and categories that we're put under and I believe they actually give you a lot of power and strength in a weird way as much as society would like to use them as something that puts you down and puts you lower down on say like a ladder to being the best form or the best sort of identity which in our society is like a white able-bodied male as much as people would like to say that my blackness and my women being a woman and being disabled is going to make me lower I actually see it the exact opposite way I'm like in fact they just make me smarter like I have a lot of different things that force me to think in different ways because I'm flourishing and surviving in the same system that you are, and what's funny is that system wasn't even made for me. Yeah, so I yeah. don't seem to be being held back. I seem to be flourishing in it. So I actually think it just makes me unique. Um, you spoke about being an intersectional feminist, and um, there's a lot of layers to your identity. Being a black disabled woman, how has that kind of impacted you when seeking help? Also, in different communities, um, how have people received your kind of story and your background? Yeah, I love that question. Um, so, receiving help, that's been really interesting, actually, because I think it is, 
if you look at our society, unfortunately, there are many things that say when you come under that sort of identity, when you have those like different traits to you, that it makes it harder for your voice to be heard, essentially. Um, but I was really lucky in the fact that so my mum is a lawyer. Um, my mum is technically a barrister, but she didn't want to do it in the UK. She doesn't like law. She was forced into it. So when I was really young, I was essentially trained by the best, let's just say, how to fight for myself. I've been fighting for myself since I was a kid. Like, since I was, I don't think I was outside of primary school, I had already been fighting teachers. I've been beefing teachers like it was, like, literally my best skill. Like, it was my hobby (laughs) um, all throughout primary school. Because I was ill a lot. So literally as a child, I was in and out of hospital, as I said earlier. And that meant that my teachers often doubted me. If I literally could list, I've had so many teachers tell me I'm not going to do well because of my disability. And they didn't hesitate to tell me, which I think is really interesting because you're meant to be teachers, which are people that inspire and people that help motivate people to try and do their best. And I was somebody, I was saying to them, look, I want to do my best. I want to do really well. I want to go to really good schools and I want to excel academically. And they were just like, I think you should lower your expectation, quite frankly. Like, I think, how would you believe you're going to do well because you have all these issues? And what I would get from my mum is she would be like, okay, cool, we're going to prove them wrong. That's simple. That's it. Like, literally, I'm going to write letters telling them this is what you need. So from a really young age, I learned how to write for myself. So advocate, be an advocate for myself, essentially through written word. Mm -hmm. So I'd write letters to teachers. Um, I remember I'd literally throw myself into teachers' offices and be like, some teacher predicted me a B. I want to be predicted an A because I want to get an A so I can go to this school and do my like A levels there, or so I can go to university, a good university. I have these teachers like literally so many times, so many teachers. I remember in my GCSEs, like like I was doing my history GCSE and I got an A for my ten, year ten GCSE. And then parents' evening came round, and the teacher predicted me a C overall grade because she said, "Why do you think like you're going to get an A this year? You're always ill." And I remember my mum was with me. We both were in amazement because we were like, I literally got an A and I was ill last year too, so what is your issue? (laughs) But we just both looked at each other and we kind of looked at her and I was like, no, you need to predict me an A. Yeah, like, nah, this is not acceptable. And what makes you think that I won't do well? Because I did well before and the same person is here, so what is it? And I remember I got an A star. I literally got 100% in that that exam. And I wanted to go to her. I wanted to shake the thing in her head and be like, look, don't mind, don't ever step to me again because I'll slap you. <laughs> I was so angry. I was so furious. But I kind of just like took it on my chin and was just like, hey, this is what we're going to have to be doing for the rest of our life. Like, I would hope that the world and society would change so I won't have to be doing that. But I feel like I've been equipped um, with literally the way in which my mum has taught me how to write letters and how to appeal to like people in charge. And something I would often do, actually, which is really funny, is I'd bypass teachers so, like, a teacher would tell me, you can't do well. I'll go to the head of year. Like, you think you're you God. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to the head of year and be like, head of year, look, this is what I want me. This is what I want. Predict me. All A's. I'm trying to go to a grammar school. Like, I, re- I literally did that. And she predicted me all the, all the grades I asked for. She did it for me. And then she was like, hey, Dan, if I'm going to predict you this, you need to make sure you did it. And I, I did it because I wanted to do well. So I found it so funny that teachers were like, you're not going to do well. It was just the maddest thing to me. And even in A-level, I went to the head of the sick form, literally um, crying. Because I said, the teacher predicted me a B. I want A's. I'm trying to go to a, to a top 10 university. Like, what, what, what is this? 
and um, she they changed it for me. They would always change it for me. So I was really grateful because I made really good relationships with the people that really mattered, to be honest, if you want to call it that. I kind of bypassed all the junior teachers, went to the top and was just like, look, I'm going to do well, just help me get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so something I would say personally, although my black woman experience has made it really difficult and I felt literally everything that people talk about, which is literally just like, your blackness, people already have an expectation of you to not do well because of that. Your girl, people don't really care about what women say. Your voice is small and they don't really want to give you much credit. And then I'm disabled. People are always going to try and disqualify me because of the way in which they think my body has limitations. But I reject all of those notions. I reject everything that you want to put upon me and all the ideas that you want to attach to my identity the narrative I want to create for myself is the narrative that I'm going to allow to exist around me. Like, that is all I, I am okay with seeing. I don't want to see anything else. Um, so, yeah, I just learned how to speak for myself in mm-hmm. more honesty. And that's something about, like, how I say that I believe my identities, in fact, empower me because they really taught me how to speak for myself in a very, very big way. And then even in healthcare, um, I've had doctors try and ignore me well, actually tell me that my conditions were different to what they were. That was so funny. I had a nurse. I was literally like, yeah, I've got, um, she wrote down, I told her I had IBD. I was in the emergency room. I was like, I have IBD. And then she was like, yeah, IBS is the same thing. I said, B, it's not the same thing. It's a different thing. That's irritable bowel syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease, different, very different. I said, change it. Thank you. And I remember her looking at me with attitude, like, here's this little girl. I just said, I know myself. I'm smart about myself, thank <laughs> you. But I just remember so many people have looked at me and then I open my mouth and they're like, okay, cool, she knows a bit too much, so I can't really, I can't really just ignore what she has yeah. to say. And that's something that's really interesting. Even if I'm super ill, on morphine, out of it, like, I still manage to speak for myself. Um, so nobody's really been able to, like, bulldoze over me. Um because I've just learned how to fight for myself, essentially. Sometimes it's a bit mad. Sometimes I don't want to fight. That's something that's really interesting. So I feel like, in all honesty, the work I do, I'm trying to prepare this world for people like me, younger than me, so they don't have to fight. Like, I don't want you to have to fight, because it it gets exhausting, and I don't think I should have to do that level of work in order to excel. But until we get to that point, I'm going to continue to do that. So the little me's that are coming up, the little black disabled girls are more comfortable and they can just be heard straight off the bat. If they want to talk in a mouse voice and say, I'm really tired and I need help, they get seen to you. Mm-hmm. So, That's yeah. really important. Um, sickle cell, often people say it's like an invisible disease. Um, yeah. And I know that's something that you've spoken quite a bit about and you've shared a lot of stories that for me, I'm like, wow, because people cannot see that like in that you are unwell the kind of dismissal can be insane and i would yeah. love for you to touch on that like what kind of experiences have you had um in general because people see you and think there's nothing up with her she's okay mm. yeah it's quite tough actually because i think it, it is really weird um the way which is used as a compliment is really interesting. So people will be like, oh, you look so well. What do you mean you're ill? Or like, I'll go into hospital and a nurse will be like, oh, yeah, you look really good. Are you sure? Like, are you sure? And it's just like, it's very undermining. Because mm. it's like, I know what's going on inside of my body. 
but because of how outside of my body looks, you're trying to discount what I'm saying, essentially. And I think as much as it is annoying in the doctor sphere, or like in that sort of realm, essentially once they get like a blood result or once they get like the numbers on say my heart rate and stuff like that, like they have to switch up and listen to what I'm saying really quickly. So that's a bit easier as much as it's annoying. But what is really annoying is I would say in relationships with people generally, so relationships with people outside of healthcare is when I think it can be a bit more stressful because essentially um, I've had to prove it to like friends and that's something you never want to do. Like you feel like they should just believe you or like people in school. Um, I remember in my GCSEs, literally a group of girls coming up to me and being like, I think you're being a bit dramatic. Oh and, like gosh. Lots of people have sickle cell lots of people have illnesses and they're not always outside of school like you are so like what makes you special why do you think you're special why do you think you need to miss school why do you think you need to go into like a separate room and work here instead of working in the classroom like Mm. I think you're being a bit dramatic and like yeah like it's not that deep and that was really hurtful in all honesty in my secondary school experience I did feel a bit outcast in a weird way because of my health Um, And because it made it really difficult for me to do social activities. And that, there's a bit of, um, what would you call it, cognitive distance? Or like, I don't know exactly, I can't remember how the term exactly goes, but like, it doesn't make sense to people. Because it's like, I see you and you look like this, but you're telling me this is your reality and it's completely different. How am I meant to respond to that? Mm -hmm. And I remember with school, with friends and stuff like that, like they would have a party or, or like they would go to winter wonderland and I wasn't allowed to go because it's cold it's outside hours outside in the cold and I thought like they just thought I was being really dramatic in all honesty and then it becomes a thing when you're older where you actually struggle to believe yourself because you so many people have been telling you like oh you seem a bit dramatic you seem a bit like this isn't even that deep because I look fine and then there becomes that whole thing of like am I just being lazy or do I have this condition and it's just like no you have this condition that's a scientific fact that (laughs) is provable in like this in an instance you can prove that you've got this condition but I guess society makes you feel um like yeah like you've got that disease there's this disease that I always joke to my mum about I wonder if I just have that illness where people think they have illnesses oh what (laughs) is it called (laughs) yeah um yeah I know what you're talking oh what is it called I feel like it starts with an M but I don't remember like where people always think that they're They're unwell yeah yeah so I have moments like that where I'm like is that what's going on and then what is actually really reassuring, which is weird, is when you go to hospital and maybe they'll like diagnose you with something else and you'll be like, I wasn't insane. So it's really weird, but diagnosis actually give clarity and they help you to be like, oh, I wasn't just like making crap up in my head. This is actually my reality. So, um, yeah, I've had so many experiences, so, like, with school, with social groups, with teachers, again, that's always a thing, they're going to be like, how can you not do what you said you were going to do because you look fine, I remember, oh, this is a hilarious one, um, I was really ill, one of my symptoms of my illnesses, essentially, is my kidney struggles, and I have, like, a sickle cell crisis in my kidney, which essentially means my kidney has been bleeding off and on for, like, two to three years now and it just doesn't stop it just bleeds when it wants to bleed it's essentially a sickle cell crisis in the kidneys um and I lose a lot of blood consistently so I'm having to have blood transfusions a lot a lot more than usual sometimes I just have my every six weeks and sometimes I have top-ups in between my every six weeks um 
And I had a year that this was terrible. I think it was 2019, actually the year I did my TED Talk. Literally after I did my TED Talk, I think two days later, I was back in London in a hospital being transfused and in an ad- had an admission because mm-hmm. of that issue I've been having. So within that year, they were doing a lot of investigations. That's why I didn't get to finish my um, university degree in 2019. I had to split my year into two and do the rest of it in 2020. And... Um, I was there, like, in hospital, in and out, going back to uni, trying to do work. And I remember one day, I was ill. But in order for me to be somebody that is at a university like Warwick and done the things I've done, I have to be somebody that's quite stubborn and doesn't always listen to themselves, if that makes sense. So, like, yeah. I don't always listen to my body, if that makes sense. So, my body will tell me I'm exhausted, you need to sit down. I'll be like, well, well we've got stuff to do. I don't care. Like, we're going. Um... And that's also, it's a good thing and it's also a bad thing. So I went back, I don't know why, but I was just really resilient. And I was like, I have to go back to uni, even though I was just in hospital. And I was really ill. Like, I had a really horrible admission. It was one of my worst admissions. I remember they had to do, like, lots of different surgical things to try and understand what was going on inside of my kidneys. And it was dreadful. I went back to my university for two days just to get some stuff and to go and meet my teachers because part of my learning how to advocate for my advocacy, advocate for myself, yeah, advocate for um, was I would always make sure my teachers were up to date yeah. with everything that was going on with me. So they couldn't try and swindle me one day and be like, we didn't know about any of this. You kicked out of uni, which is what happened to so many people at my uni that weren't basically informing their tutors of the stuff they were going through. They mm. might just kick them out. because They'll be like, you're not, what do you mean you're ill? You didn't tell me this ages ago. So it's really important to update your uni on what's going on with you. So I went to go and see the director of wellbeing, if if she wants to call herself that, because she was slacking, quite frankly. And um, she said to me, I presented myself before her. I looked how I usually look. I'm not going to look dead just because I'm ill. So I had my wig on. I was wearing a cute fit. It wasn't flashy, but it was put together, right? I Mm. looked healthy, let's just say. I had a bit of CC cream on my face. There was a bit of foundation. I was looking a bit, I don't use foundation, CC cream. Had a bit of highlight, you know, just trying to make myself look alive, a bit of Vaseline and mascara. And I rolled up in her office and she was like, oh, you look so well, you look so healthy. The same usual, that's what they always would like to throw my way. And then she was like, okay, so you have a piece of work to you. Um, so do you think you'll be able to do it before your next operation on Monday? It was a Friday. I oh, okay. I just sent her my discharge letters from the fact that they let me out of hospital for a few days, but I'm going back to have like a surgery on, on Monday. So I was there on a Friday with a piece of work due, like a big piece of work due. So do you think you'll be able to do it between now, the Friday and the Monday of my surgery? I said, you're very drunk. You're very rude. <laughs> like, I was really upset. I was really upset because I was just like, are you serious? Like, I'm coming here to update you on my health, to like, just let you know what's going on with me to try and have you see what's going on with me and like be a bit compassionate and be understanding and actually like she's trying really hard she's trying her best and you're trying to hit me with oh yeah can you do that work that was due I just came out of hospital I'm just going back on Monday and you think it's appropriate as the well-being officer to try and ask me for work to do in a weekend rather than to try and be like supportive yeah we'll do whatever we can to support you dan let us know what we can do to support you she was just trying to hit me with work and i was just like this is really shameful you need to get trained quite frankly like 
I was I think I was just like no I said it really softly I was mm. like no actually I don't think I'll be able to do that and she was just like really like really like confused she really she said really like she was confused like how could I say I wouldn't be able to do that mm. and I was like yeah no I won't be able to and it was just really rude and upsetting because it's like this is the person that's actually in charge of well-being in this department in the law department this is the person that you're meant to go to if you have an issue and this is how she decides to treat her disabled students okay where do you yeah. think that those kind of reactions come from because it's interesting to me as somebody who who like knows you and ha- I've seen you I can understand why somebody would make those comments and be like oh like but you look okay but you look fine but from listening to you I see how problematic that is especially when information has been presented to you so why do you think that people even when the information has been presented to them okay like sorry professor so-and-so or miss so-and-so um this is what's going on with me I can't give in the work that they still question you where where do you think that comes from I think it comes from their lack of understanding and although they would like to say that they're trained because I actually went back to Warwick so this is really interesting Warwick invited me to do a talk on International Women's Day on um what was it I talked about disability and race in like high institutions so basically mm. in higher education work university those sorts of institutions where it's the top 10 uni so they care about numbers um that's something that's really interesting i realized like certain different you know different universities have different cultures mm. and if you go to a university like work they expect you to deliver at work standards they expect everything to come in the way they want you it to and they don't have as much space as i feel like they should have for people that are different, for people that are other, for people that have different experiences of life, and they just want you to kind of mould into this person that just becomes like a work-breathing machine Mm. when they want it, like that's what they want. So I think it comes from a lack of training, because when I spoke to those guys, I kind of said to them, like, my experience in this place was, although I had three women, three women I can say throughout my degree were the most phenomenal women that actually gave me the time of day to talk about my story to them for them to actually understand me and support me in the best way I had this amazing personal tutor in my first year and she literally said to me on my first day of university she's like I'm not going to be a university mother so yeah just get used to that then she literally became my university mother (laughs) I went into that chick's office crying on a regular basis it was therapy like she was so wonderful and um, I had two other amazing women while I was at Warwick that supported me so much. But the rest of them, at large, many of them just wanted to discount what I was saying because it didn't fit into what they wanted mm. a Warwick student to be. Like, it was just like, we don't like difference. We don't like others. We don't like people that don't fit into this norm. So either kill yourself to bend into this norm or we're just going to get rid of you if we can. But I essentially just put up the biggest fight ever. I was like, you're not going to get rid of me. I'm going to do this degree at the pace I can do this degree at. I'm already half killing myself to be here and to flourish. I went to university with two chronic health conditions. I left with five. So I'm just like, (laughs) I'm already grinding myself to be here to get this degree. You don't need to try and put extra pressure in. If anything, you should be trying to alleviate pressure for me and making it as easy as possible for me to get the grades I need. So I think ultimately, they say they have training, but I think their training is limited. I think their training fails to really understand 
nuance and different identities and different things that people go through. Um, I feel like they're, yeah, their training just isn't up to par in my personal opinion. And I think they need a lot of it, um, intersectional training, which is interesting. Because if you look at universities like Warwick, there is no black people on staff, at least in my department. I think I've seen like one or two black people in the whole of that staff in the law department. So I think also as if a black person was there and I was saying I have something like sickle cell, they would have been like, whoa, I understand what you're talking about. Like, that's mad. But because it was like white people, I was saying sickle cell, they're probably just like, I don't really know what that is. Yeah. Um, if I went in there and was like cancer, they would have been like, we'll do everything we can do to support Yeah, oh my, do you know what? That is mad. Like, so, you know, like, proper deep in, I'm really deep in what you're saying. Because obviously, sickle cell is quite prominent in the black community, especially, like, I may be wrong, please correct me, in the Nigerian community, it's quite prominent as well, right, isn't it? We have it the most in the world. So half of the babies that are born with sickle cell every year, I think it's, like, 150,000. Yeah, 150,000. So are born with sickle cell that are from Nigeria because it's 300,000 in the world Mm. and it's half of those are Nigerian alone. So, yeah. Do you know why that is? Does anyone know that why that is? So, sickle cell is a reaction to malaria. It's actually a, a mutation that c- was created to try and help human beings not to get malaria, but then just kind of, like, flew back in our faces and tried to kill a whole group of people off, essentially. Um, wow. Yeah, so... I don't know if maybe in Nigeria there's more malaria than there is in other places in the world. I don't actually know why it is mostly in Nigeria, but it's really interesting. Wow, wow, wow. Sorry, I feel I interrupted you there because your main point was that if you said to a tutor, oh, I have cancer, there's going to be a different a different response and that's that's really that's really true. And the thing is is that if that person as well was um being mistreated by staff or by other students who had um a more kind of prominent and well-known illness I think there would be a lot of attacks from from the outside also because it'd be like how dare you do that to this student so that is really that's really kind of that's very heartbreaking actually I don't that that's got my nerves (laughs) there's not as much compassion in all honesty yeah people like myself that do I'm actually really lucky so this is something I've noticed I get away with how would I describe it as a black woman because I'm very intimidating unintimidating, intimidating in my look. So I'm really short, I'm really small. Yeah. I don't look like I'm much of a threat in general. I've noticed I get treated fairly well as a black as a black woman. People often look at me and think I'm a victim, if that makes sense. So yeah. people help me. It's something that I find really funny. I always come home and joke to my parents about it. Because, like, say I'll be on the train with a massive suitcase. This used to happen to me all the time when I was coming back and forth from uni. Relatable. Yeah. Men will be helping me with my suitcase on a regular car because I look like a victim. Like, I'm holding this suitcase, <laughs> like, the size of my body. Um, men just love to save the day. They love to be like, oh, my God, I'm a superhero. Clark Kent, yeah, look at me. So I let them. I'll be like, yeah, you want to... Some guy, he took my suitcase for, like, 10 minutes down the road. Like, a whole thing, he pulled it for me in the middle of London. Yeah. It didn't even... It wasn't even like he was trying to move through or anything. I just looked like a victim. Yeah. And you said, keep pulling. I will direct you. Mm. but I know categorically the 
two ways. If I was a more intimidating sort of black woman, I would not be treated the way I have been treated, the level of some small level of compassion that I've been given. Mm. And then I also know, but then I know if I was a blonde chick, <laughs> if I was a blonde blue-eyed girl, it'd be people different. People would be prostrating on the floor to make sure I was taken care of. Like people would be going above and beyond to make sure I was taken care of. Mm. I know that for like, and that's clear. If you just look at the way in which black women are dying yeah. in hospitals in the UK in childbirth, everything I'm saying makes sense. It all adds up. If you just mm. look at the way in which black people are dying at just rates that aren't, they don't make sense, they don't add up. Why is that? Because people don't understand black pain when they see it. They think it's something else. They interpret it to be often actually aggressive and often like some problematic and they don't approach it with compassion and empathy mm. they don't see it in that way so I think it's very clear that there's just this distance people don't understand it people just don't don't see it the same way and it's like I the thing that I always find quite funny is like with my healthcare with sickle cell I'm always on cancer wards actually sickle cell and cancer they have some sort of weird similarity I'm always on cancer wards since I was a child um yeah, that's just always what happened. And it's weird because I see, I've seen a lot of cancer patients die on my wards. Sickle cell is long term, so it's a bit different in its way in which it's long term, but it just it disintegrates the body slowly by slowly in lots of different ways. You get older, it gets more complex, um, and it's only long term because we're learning how to deal with it. Before, actually, people with sickle cell, there's a Nigerian phrase for it, but in Nigeria they used to be called the children that come and go because the death rate they don't even make it past into their teenage years like they just die immediately and that's because if you look at countries like nigeria where blood donation is still something you have to literally get individual blood donors to come and give for individual people rather than there's a whole good working system like you have in the uk that is constantly getting blood in just for supply just for there not yes. it's not like supply and demand it's already there stocked to go and take care of the people it needs to take care of whereas in nigeria you're literally calling people like can you come and donate blood on my behalf different situation so I know that if I was in a country like that, I would have been out of this game a long time ago. Um, so when you're looking at a country like the UK, um, and see people with sickle cell, I guess, are living longer than people with cancer, but we're still having the same treatments. Like I have, I was on hydroxyria, which is a chemotherapy that is used for people with leukemia. Mm. but I've not seen I don't get the same I don't get compassion in, in fact if you look at cystic fibrosis which is more similar to sickle cell um I think sickle cell um gets like I think it's no cystic fibrosis charities get 30 times the amount of support and donations than sickle cell charities do mm. but there's actually 15,000 people with sickle cell in the UK and I think there's only like 10 or less than that with cystic fibrosis in the UK so there's actually more people with sickle cell than cystic fibrosis but sickle cell is a black man's disease and cystic fibrosis is a white man's disease so they get 30 times more donations wow like hearing the numbers is I don't know it's really hitting it's hitting right for me that's yeah. that's that's wow that's not even that is not okay that's not okay and it makes it makes so much more sense to me why you and not only just you but like others are very passionate about informing people about this stuff um yeah. because it's important do you know one thing I wanted to ask you but I don't even know if it's gonna really come into playing your story but I want to ask you about pity 
because I know that when people um, face disabilities, sometimes what they come up against a lot is pity. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're going through that. Or, oh my gosh, I don't know like how you do it. I could never do that. Is that something you've ever experienced? Yeah, of course it's something I've experienced. In all honesty, though, it's quite interesting. I've, I've learned over the years... And just from becoming more and more involved in the disability sector, so like meeting more people with disabilities generally, with all different disabilities, not just sickle cell, people respond to it in very different ways. I personally actually don't take offence. I don't need your pity, but I don't take offence because I understand where it comes from, if that makes sense. Mm. So like, I understand that most people just don't know how to deal with crap, aren't very smart, say a lot of rubbish rubbish (laughs) on a daily basis. Most people just don't know how to deal with stuff. So I'm not actually somebody that will be up in arms. Like, I don't want your feet. Like, I'll just be like, it's cool, babe. Don't worry. I'm good. But I can take care of me. Like, I've been doing okay. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Like, that's more how I approach it. But I do know a lot of people are just like, I don't need your pity. That's just personally not how I feel. Um, just because I feel like it comes from a good place. But I think I prefer to just train you how to... Show compassion towards me. Donate blood, be like that's. How, I just want. I'll show you how I want to be taken care of, basically. Mm. So instead of me fighting to you for the way in which you decide to, I'll just be like, no, this is what I want instead. So if you want to come on board and you want to be an ally, quote unquote, of disabled people, listen to disabled people when they ask you for stuff. Just don't give them pity in the way that you think it makes sense. Mm. Do what they actually ask for. That's kind of how I see it more. So yeah, I'll just tell you what I need from you rather than your aimless unproductive pity yeah that makes (laughs) that makes a lot of sense that does make a lot of sense I guess to wrap up um I would love to quickly touch on your Instagram now Danielle's Instagram is probably one of the most phenomenal feeds you will ever see it is so like no it's actually because I met you first so I was like oh hey like Danielle and then you oh follow you on Instagram and then I saw your Instagram I was like wait what (laughs) like (laughs) what is going on here it's so lovely um and on your Instagram, you do a lot of advocacy work. So in your stories, in Danielle's stories, you'll often see, you'll often leave educated. You, you'll do a whole, a whole degree module in two minutes. And I love it. So I would love to know why did you choose to like make your Instagram the way you have made it? And is it something that you find quite empowering? Is it like a little side project? Tell us a bit about your Instagram. Yeah, so it's definitely my little side project. I love how you put that. Um, so a weird, interesting fact about me is before I wanted to do law, I wanted to do fashion. So I did work experience at Vogue when I was like 15. And that was my dream. That was what I wanted to do. I did like textiles, A-level, no, GCSE. Um, we didn't carry it on to A-level. We decided to do other things at that point. But um, I loved mood boarding. Like mood boarding, in my coursework, I was that person that was always just going above and beyond because I loved it like I loved the whole idea of putting together concepts on like these large massive sheets and like just putting together massive concepts of like okay we're making a corset here's lots of designs of a corset and like this is the colouring in which I want and I remember I would actually spend more than they actually wanted me to spend like I would do more than they actually asked I would go to the craft stores and buy like different colour A3 pieces of paper and like, just do the most <laughs> do the most <laughs> I was doing the most. I really, really genuinely love art and fashion and design. I never thought, I I never wanted to be a fashion designer, but I wanted to be the 
I literally say the first thing I said, this is really, this is typical my way of moving. I'm learning how to just be a bit more chill as I get older. But I wasn't chill at 15. I just had a level of vim that I no longer have, unfortunately. But <laughs> I literally rolled up in that lift and said to, like, the assistant that was bringing me up, she was like, oh, what do you want to do in the future? Because, like, you're obviously at Vogue. Like, what, what do you want to do here? I was like, I want to be the director, the editor-in-chief of Vogue magazine. Like, I said it full flat. Yeah, out. But, like, yeah. I want to be, yeah. like, look at me fly and <laughs> I said it with my chest and they loved me because I I went above and beyond I came with a book and a notepad of all my favorite designers written out like I had a whole catalog of wow. it I was ready to come and finish them and they actually asked me they said if you want to come back you can but by that time I realized that I kind of wanted to focus more on law um and I wanted to do something that I think would help other people because ultimately something that's really important to me now is advocacy for all sorts of intersectional groups. Um, I believe that if your journey as a human being doesn't involve making other people's lives better, then I don't really know what your aim is on this planet Earth. Because I feel like there's a lot of people here to be taken care of. There are a lot mm. of issues of injustice in this world. And I'm somebody with a massive heart for injustice. Like, my heart burns. It's not... I'm not a small... Like, I'm not a small... I'm really... Oh, this is really sad. I no, yeah, no, I can see that on your Instagram. That's why I'm saying every day, Danielle will be like, this is wrong! And I'm like... <laughs> you... But it's the fact that somebody can scream, this is wrong, but look so beautiful doing it, that just takes... <laughs> just it's just like wow this is no No, every day no every single no listen listen danielle you need to understand it's every day every second of the day and it's a variety of things it's not the thing is it's not funny like guys that the laughter isn't um to make light of injustice it's just to laugh at the vim of one person (laughs) (laughs) literally it's real Every day, Danielle will be like, oh, this is what's happening, like, wrong things in the porn industry. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I'll start reading things on that. And then, then it's about sickle cell. And then it's like, oh. And then it's about America and politics. And like, this girl, when you say range, say equals Danielle Janardu. Because every day, there is something new. And I love it. I can't even. I love it. I actually love it. I love the the fact that you can use you use your social media in a very um socially conscious way and obviously any everyone can do whatever they want with their social media platforms but I really appreciate the fact that for me personally anyway that I can go on your stories and learn and yeah, yeah and learn and it's actually genuine like read this sign this do something yeah do something please xox (laughs) i just want to use it because this is the thing like as i said like my heart for injustice now is 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 really it's there and it burns yeah i'm just like okay how can i do my part um in this world like how can i do my part to make sure i leave it with making somebody else's other than my own life good that's just something that i feel like every day to be honest um i want i think something that this is another thing that i think um being all the identities that you want to call me if, if you feel like they're fit or whatever, like being a um, black woman with disability, I think has made me acutely aware of the injustice in the world Mm. and the issues there are in this world that need to be resolved. I think even if I don't have the same identity, I have far more compassion than I would have had without these illnesses, without these 
different identities because I can see how it feels to be subjugated. I can see how it feels to be deemed as less than because of something you can't control or something that is not actually your fault or something that is actually to be praised and to be worthy of love and desired. But a society has decided that I want to diminish this trait about you. So I feel like I understand how those things feel. So now I'm just like, cool, I'm just going to fight against it. I'm going to help to bring down that ladder that puts people in certain positions because of where they come from um, actively. I want to do that actively. And I use my social media to show that I can be a multifaceted babe. Yep. I can be in love with fashion and care about fashion whilst also saying that fashion has a lot of issues yeah. and that the ish industry is too fast and it needs to slow down because there's such a thing as slave trade. And if you live in the West, you are definitely in some way hand in the slave trade system. Like there is something that you're benefiting from um, because there are slaves in this world, essentially. So how can you be more mindful? Support these charities. Try and give back to these charities. In fact, try and be a bit slower with your fashion intake and try and shop in a way that is, you know, sustainable. Sustainable, Shop yeah. less. You know, think about where you're shopping from. Make small, small steps every single day to try and make your life more ethical is how I see it. Um, I know all of us can't afford to just completely cut out high street brands because we're not at the top. We're somewhere in the middle. Um, but I still think we can try our hardest to make this life better for other people. And yeah, join with charities that support those people. And like, I also want to show that I can be disabled and I also can be somebody that cares about how they look and flourishing and beautiful and try and show you different outfits and styles. Like just because I'm disabled doesn't mean I can't be all these other things. It doesn't limit me. It doesn't make me less of a human being. Mm. So yeah, that's just something I want to show with my Instagram and I keep trying, and I keep trying. No, you're doing, you're time. doing great, yeah. you're doing great. Um, if you could leave the listeners with something that they can do um, to kind of be um, true allies to the sickle cell cause, um, can you please share those things? Of course. Um, so number one is sign our petition to be involved in the um, MedEx exemption list so essentially people with sickle cell still have to pay for prescriptions but if you've looked at the stats and the facts which i have on my page um basically they're suffering because they have to pay for their subscriptions their prescriptions um a lot of people because they have to pay for them can't pay for their rent um a lot of people as i said with sickle cell are black or from ethnic minority backgrounds so because of that you know there's like a lot of structural things that makes it harder for them to live in general and that they also come from lower socioeconomic groups so paying for prescriptions is very expensive and when i think about my own medication subscriptions are eight i think it's now nine pounds um for a box and i take about seven to eight different pills a day um or just types of pills i take numerous numbers of those pills a day so yeah altogether if you want to times that i don't like maths times eight by eight and that's how much i'm paying every Mm. month to get my medication That's which is a lot mad, of money yeah. um so yeah people with sickle cell are struggling so if you want to support us as a community you can sign the the petition to have us included in the medex list which will mean we don't have to pay for our subscription our prescriptions anymore keep saying subscriptions but it's prescriptions where anymore. can they find this um link the link is in my bio the link is also easily you can search it up on google and it'll pop up in two seconds um it's literally just include sickle cell in the medex card um and it'll pop up definitely the deadline is february um 
2021. So I actually need to get on trying to get more people to sign that. So if you could do that, that would be awesome. And then also donate blood. As I said earlier, blood donation, humongous part of sickle cell care. So if you have blood that you feel it like you should give, please give. Um, it's really important. There's not enough black donors. Um, so if you want to give, please give to support the black community that deal with sickle cell because it just makes for better matches to have people from the same ethnic group as you. Um, lesser chance of people developing antibodies, which will mean that they can't have any more donations and that is literally like the worst thing that can ever happen from anybody with sickle cell because we literally depend upon blood donations to survive i as i said i get i get eight bags of blood every six weeks mm. so without that i would not be sitting here the way that i'm sitting here so yeah um if anything else spread awareness so join us as we spread awareness when we post we post um when we talk about disability share the conversation with your family your friends your like people around you to kind of get rid of a lot of the negative connotations and negative stigma that surrounds disabilities such as sickle cell and the black community and yeah just join us in our in our advocacy journey so support the cause like if you see stuff about us just participate in it and don't ignore it Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. And finally, finally, I have to ask the question. So the podcast is called Just Over 20 and you are in your yeah. 20s. Um, I want you to tell us what you've learned so far in your 20s and what you're looking forward to the most about this kind of age group. Okay, I've learned that in this life, I'm trying to have progress over perfection yeah um I'm a perfectionist by nature I'm somebody that if my work isn't up to par I'll throw it on the floor and say this is trash I've literally done that in my classroom so I'm trying to learn that progress is what will help me to be creative it's what will help me to flourish it's what will help me to actually become the better version of myself. If I try and hold on to this false notion of perfection, I'm never going to make any moves because I'll be paralyzed by fear. So, yeah, progress over perfection is one of the things I've learned. And also, as I said earlier, um, I think I was speaking to Italy about this earlier, and it's literally just being self-compassionate and understanding every single day that I'm trying my hardest, I'm going to keep trying my hardest, and that's all I can do. The rest I'm going to leave to God. Um and yeah, like generally one of my favorite sayings also, and this is something that I've really learned as somebody with disability, um, it's a biblical phrase or biblical verse, let's just call it what it is, it's a verse from the Bible, um, and <laughs> essentially is that I should count it pure joy when I go through tribulation and hardship because it creates perseverance and perseverance creates character and that will ultimately make me a person that is lacking nothing and I think that's in whereas I think that's James, in James somewhere. Um, and I say that to myself constantly as somebody that's gone through a lot of hardship um, and gone through a lot of trials. It may sound really odd to say count it pure joy when you go through them. But I've also just seen in my life how amazing those trials have ultimately made me and the things that they've cultivated inside of me, which I'm really grateful for. So as we go through this really period, hard, challenging, tough period of 2020 and 2021, um, just learning to kind of go with your trials and know that they're creating the better version of you. Um, yeah, God doesn't do shortcuts. He does the long run to make us the best person we can possibly be. So I'm trying to learn to be at peace with that journey. Um, 
yeah, I think that was the question. I think I answered the question. And what are you looking forward to the most about being in your 20s? What am I looking forward to the most? Um, I'm looking forward to being at peace with myself and falling more in love with myself. That's something I really want to... I'm excited to move out of, like, you know, the teenage to early 20 phase of being, like, really insecure and really, like, oh, no, am I, like, the best? Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited to move out of that and move into just being comfortable with who I am and working on myself and seeing myself as the biggest project I'm ever going to have rather than seeing myself as somebody that is constantly evolving and shifting and changing. And in my, my hope is to move and change and transform more into the likeness of Jesus and more like into that direction. Mm. Um, I'm looking forward to that and being at peace with that journey rather than trying to, yeah, just literally be a false notion of perfection that society has tried to put on me. And love my blackness and love my identity as a woman and love like even the things that my disability is able to bring out of me. That's something I'm looking forward to. That is beautiful oh my gosh thank you thank you where can people find you so you can find me on instagram um it's literally danielle Giladu. so simple um yeah that's all it is and then on twitter i'm Giladu danielle do you like it it's very simple <laughs> i like it um yeah that's where you can find me i don't really use other forms of social media so that's it for me Okay, great. It was so lovely speaking to you. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you you so much for having me. This conversation was actually so beautiful. So I'm really grateful. Thank you for listening. But the conversation isn't over. So to share your thoughts and keep the conversation going, follow at just over 20 on Instagram and Twitter, share the episode and subscribe to keep up to date with the podcast. This has been Just Over 20. I've been your host, Itanu Speaks, and you have been fabulous. Stay blessed and catch you next time.